You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit votr.church. Well, good morning, Vineyard Church. It is always so good to worship together. As always, I just want to take a moment and welcome the live stream this morning. We're so grateful and thankful that you can worship with us as well. My name is Jeff. If we've never met, I'm the lead pastor here at the Vineyard. And before preaching, I want to celebrate another kingdom moment that we're sharing as a church. Last week, of course, we celebrated all that God did through the cross-training sports camp with 40 recommitments to Christ, 20 first-time decisions for Jesus. That was all really special to celebrate. And yeah. And this week, we are celebrating the journey of our own youth and young adult pastor, Chaz Bell. Hopefully, you got a chance to read the email that I sent last Wednesday. Uh, it could be in your spam folder. If you've never signed up for those and you want to receive the communications, you can do that by connecting with us uh, by using the Connect card in the seat back pocket right in front of you or signing up for anything online at votrweekly.org. But in the email, I shared some details about Chaz and his wife Heather's future role as lead pastors of the Vineyard Church, a sister church of ours in Colorado Springs. And this is, yeah. It's a special moment for them. Obviously, God is calling them. This call has really actually been on their life for a number of years. And so we made a short video. We sent an email out to the church. I think it's worth watching, um, but that's partly because I love Chaz and I love his family and I love what God has been doing in their life. And so we just talk a little bit about the journey in that email. You'll want to check that out. And I just want to say, you know, anytime you launch a leader, there's a little bit of a cost to it, right? It's a little bittersweet because we love him and we love their family, but this is how you multiply the kingdom. This is how you grow the kingdom in various communities and various cities is by raising up leaders and launching them out. And I will say to his credit, he's done a phenomenal job of raising and developing leaders all around him. The youth team is in perfect position to follow in his footsteps. Of course, you can see God orchestrating all of these things together because in January, we hired a pastoral resident in the youth department, Corey Schunig who is going to just continue doing what she has always done at this church. She's been serving at this church for over a decade. And she has served uh, in kids' ministry. And now she's leading a lot of the youth that she used to hold in the nursery. And she's just grown up with them to the point where she's at. And, of course, she's surrounded by a phenomenal team in the youth department. And Terry Farron as our family life pastor. You can just see what God has been doing uh, during Chaz's leadership. And so I want to encourage you to to check that email out if you haven't seen it, and to pray for him and to pray for our church as we continue to grow the kingdom of God together. Well, hey, if you are, just a quick transition now into the word of God. If you are new to the vineyard and you just saw that video for the first time, we are in the middle of a series called The Best Sermon Ever, but of course we're studying uh, the, the most well-researched uh, and well-documented sermon Jesus ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. He preached this 2,000 years ago. He is still preaching it today, and we love the Sermon on the Mount. This has been a great series so far, but just as a quick reminder, you have to kind of put yourself in the context of when Jesus first delivered this. It's almost like a president giving his inaugural address. 
looking out at the crowds and saying, this sermon is what life looks like in the kingdom of God. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, if you want your life to honor God and reflect the goodness of Jesus Christ, then pay attention to this sermon and have it just kind of work its way in and through your life because this is what being a citizen of heaven is all about. We're just continuing on in the Sermon on the Mount this morning, reading Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. This is what it says. Jesus preaching to the crowds, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. This was his message 2,000 years ago, and it's the same message to us today, that you are the salt of the earth, that you are the light of the world. And salt, of course, is, it's used for all kinds of different things, right? We, we know that it increases flavor, and if you're like me, you cover your steak in salt so that it brings out the flavor of the meat that you're about to eat. It draws out that flavor, and that's part of what Jesus is alluding to here in this text, but there's so much more. If you study historical context, cultural context, you learn pretty quickly that salt was used for all kinds of things in the days of Jesus. At times, it was actually mixed with honey and oil, and it was used like a balm for small wounds on the exterior parts of your body. In the Old Testament, it, Elisha threw a whole bunch of salt into a polluted well, and God used that symbolically to purify the water and make it drinkable again. Even bad salt was used, and Jesus talked about that in verse 13. If you lose your saltiness, you'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, at first glance, that sounds a little bizarre, almost a little intimidating, like what exactly is Jesus trying to say? But it was common practice for old or bad salt to be thrown out onto the dirt roads because it would act like a mild coating to cover the walkways. All of these things are true. All of these things about salt in the days of Christ are true. But more than anything else, salt was used to preserve food and to slow the decay of various meats. When I lived in Spain, it was common to see restaurants decorated with pig's legs just kind of hanging from the ceiling. It's so different than the United States, right? I mean, you go to a, a bar, a grill in the United States, there's TV screens everywhere, not pig's legs, right? It's like the owners know we're our anxious little minds and hearts. We can't just sit together for an hour and talk to each other, so we need to distract each other with sports, right? But in Spain, it was the, everything was decorated with pig's legs, and oftentimes they had the hooves on the pig legs still because a different hoof meant a different pig species, which meant a different quality of meat, I learned a lot when I lived in Spain about pig and cured hams and just all these different things. But I remember thinking, how, how on earth does this happen? How on earth does this restaurant not like drive away its customers with its smell of rotting pig flesh? Like how, 
How does this work? And of course, it all comes down to salt. It all comes down to salt. The curing process of those giant hams hanging from the ceiling took months. First, pounds of salt would be rubbed into the meat, and then they would hang for weeks, sometimes months, at various humidity levels to cure the hams, to cure the meat, and then they would add more salt so that one day it could be sent to a restaurant, not only as a decoration, but as an opportunity to provide food for the customer. Salt was and still is an amazing preservation tool, and that's exactly what Jesus is talking about in this text. It's not wrong, it's not heretical or misapplication to say that Jesus wants you to be more flavorful in a world that just needs to be fresh, right? It's not heretical to apply those other contexts to this scripture, but the best application when Jesus says in verse 13 that you are the salt of the earth is to know that he is calling each and every one of us to work our lives into the broken systems and to work our lives into broken relationships of the people that he's placed all around us so that we can be the salt of the earth, so that we can bring preservation to death and decay that seems to be all around us. The natural response and the resting posture of a Christian is to preserve life where you see death, to preserve life where you see death. This is part of your calling as a follower of Christ. Again, to work yourselves into the world, into people's lives, into cities and neighborhoods and communities that are experiencing death and decay, and to offer the life and love and vitality that comes from knowing and following Jesus Christ. You know, at quick glance, you can become really aware that everything in the worth is just Everything in the earth is just kind of in this constant state of decomposition and decay. Right? From the moment you buy a car, it starts to slowly deteriorate. The moment you buy a house is the same moment that you have to start doing repairs, right? And, and even relationships, right? You have to work at them. Even your body. At, when I turned 25, something just happened. My metabolism wasn't quite as fast. I didn't know that a pillow could affect your sleeping, that recovery time just happened a little bit slower than it used to. Our bodies are in this kind of constant process of deterioration or decay. But of course, it's not just physical or material things that have this same journey. I mentioned relationships are the same. Relationships that aren't tended to don't just magically get better. They start to slowly unwind and slowly deteriorate. Families or individuals that, that have a bunch of baggage, but the, they never work on their stuff. That stuff doesn't just magically go away. It gets worse and worse and worse. Even businesses and organizations that aren't tended to, they sl slowly move towards chaos or disorganization. That sounds really depressing, I know. But it's true that the effects of sin on humans and, and really all of creation is, is this constant groaning and tension between life and death and even decay towards chaos. And so with no outside force, with no, no one actively redeeming it, everything moves towards death. And Jesus is saying, again, to his followers in that day and to each and every one of us today, that as followers of Christ, it is your job 
It is your calling to be the salt of the earth. To be like salt rubbed into meat, helping preserve all of the systems, all of the relationships, all of the people and places where you see death and decay. But if we're honest, most of us don't like messy situations. We run from them. Right? We don't like hard things. We're, we, we not just walk away. We're not just tempted to walk away from them. We're tempted to just run a completely in the opposite direction. Social media has even begun to reward people for protecting their inner peace, calling it self-care, which is a good thing, but it's not good if it's at the detriment of helping the people around you. We have to realize that as Christians, we are, we are called to live differently. We're called to be salt of the earth to work our way into messy situation and to do it on purpose. It's counterintuitive, it's countercultural, and this is a good thing. The Christian calling, again, the Christian calling, preserve life where you see death. Usher people into the presence and the life and the love of Jesus Christ. Right now, cultural norms tell you to, to just run, to run from messy situations. And so a, a real practical example of what happens is you're at the grocery store and you see someone that you don't want to talk to. You pull the brim of your hat down. You kind of lift and, and shield your face so they can't see. And you go to the other aisle, maybe the other side of the store, because a long trip to the store is better than talking to that person again about the same problems you talked to them about last month, right? Or, or it's a cultural norm to, to drive to your home, to hit the garage door button, up, drive in real quickly, and push it down as fast as you can so that your neighbor, the crazy one, the annoying one, doesn't see that you just came home. Or the little kid that knocks on your door incessantly at like 8 o'clock at night when you're just trying to relax and watch the game. And you actually pretend that you're not home to see how long it will take until, am I the only one that's played this game? <laughs> I'm not proud of this. And I promise if you knock on my door, I will answer it. I'm getting better. But these are the kids that, that we don't ignore. These are the kids that need to be invited in. These are the kids in our neighborhood that we need to pour our love and our life into as salt of the earth. Cultural norms, of course, of course, also say that ghosting someone is an appropriate way of dealing with them. That if they're too messy for you, just ghost them. If they only ever talk about their money problems or their family problems, their health or their business problems, just ignore them. Don't answer the text. Don't call back. If they text you again, ghost them. And if you ghost them long enough, they'll just stop texting and they'll be out of your life. But it's different in the kingdom of God. It's different for followers of Jesus. Instead of skipping that aisle or pretending like you're not home or ghosting someone until they leave you alone, we are called to be salt of the earth. And as salt of the earth, you're to work yourself into tough situations, to look for the neglected neighborhoods, to search for the relationships that are desperately in need of Jesus Christ. We open our homes to families in need, and we actively engage in the broken systems of economic disparity, racism, and systemic sin. This is our calling, to work ourselves into places where we see death and decay. It's why as a church, we have entire ministries dedicated to places and people that require a bit of grittiness for you to kind of hang in there. It's why we host Celebrate Recovery every Monday night in this very room. It's why we work with Young Life 
and, and, and teen moms so that we can infuse the life and love of Jesus Christ into everyone that we meet. It's why we partner with Denver Rescue Mission or we go on international trips with Convoy of Hope because they take us to places that most of the world would care to forget. And we do all kinds of things like that as a church, but, but listen, you're not just called to, to be part of a church that's full of salt of the earth. You personally are called to be salt of the earth. As a follower of Christ, there is a personal invitation and a personal drawing from Christ for you to find yourself in this text. So I want to encourage you this morning, don't, don't shy away from the messiness of the world. Don't shy away from it. But find yourself worked into all of those messy places. Don't stand on the sidelines. Like play, play the game. We're not bullpen pitchers, right? They just sit out in left field and chew bubblicious all the time until we finally get our, our name called. Like we, we are supposed to actively be engaged in the kingdom of God and the world around us. I imagined right now that if you like pulled out your phone, if you pulled out your phone right now and just opened your contact list and started scrolling down, you would find somebody that you've been ignoring because they drive you crazy. I bet if you, if you went long enough, you could just pull in. I, I, I'm fine if you pull out your phone right now. Just don't text me because I will use names. I will use names. Every time I tell people to pull out their phone and, and have God highlight a name for them to text or call, I always get about five or six texts from the jokesters in the room. It always happens, like, hey, Jeff, I've been praying for you, man. I really think you need the Lord. <laughs> I have a microphone, so just remember that. <laughs> now, I bet, if you pull, I bet if you just played this little experiment, and you pulled your phone out, and you started looking right now, and you scrolled through your names, the, the name that just gives you a little bit of anxiety, the name that, that you, you've been trying to ghost, but it hasn't quite worked yet, if you come across that name, I would imagine that you could start right there. That God might be saying, this is the person I want you to go to. This is the person I want you to initiate with, to be salt of the earth to this relationship and this person. I mean, who do you avoid? What family member makes you hide? What is the situation in your life that is so messy you would rather run from it than run into it? How can you be salt of the earth? How can you be the salt of the earth? In order to do this, you have to be comfortable with a certain level of messiness. But we have to be thinking like this. As followers of Christ, we have to be thinking about how we can preserve life where we see death. Invite someone into your home. Hear their story and share your own. Bring someone to church. I'm huge on this. And, and some of you know this part of my story. I'm huge on this because I don't have a single memory of ever being invited to church when I was younger. And I was messy. There was a lot of death and decay happening in my life. I'm, I'm quite certain I just freaked most of the Christians out who were around me. They probably, probably thought to themselves, this guy's never going to respond to the gospel. He'll never come to church. And if by some chance he did come to church, I'm not even sure the church would know how to receive him. This was my life. But we're different than that here, aren't we? Aren't we filled with people who are salt of the earth kind of people? Aren't we a church that welcomes everyone in? Aren't we a church that says, come and experience the life and love of Jesus Christ. Let him redeem and reconcile everything that's gone wrong in your heart and in your life. Come and belong to this place. It's not because we're better than any other church. There's fantastic churches in Fort Collins. 
But I know this is true of us because I know many of your stories. We've shared them together. And this is a place where you found healing and transformation, where you've been baptized and your life has been set back on track with Jesus. Preserve life where you see death. That is the first call in this text. To not shrink back from messiness, but work yourself into those situations. Of course, if you continue reading this text, you see another call. Another call in this passage. You see to shine bright where you see darkness. This is another part of your call. To shine bright where you see darkness. I'm going to read the second half of this scripture again. Just as a reminder, again, this is immediately after Jesus saying, you are the salt of the earth. He says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Like a city on a hill. Like, like a lamp that enlightens the entire home, shine brightly in the midst of darkness and live in a way that people see it and respond to God. In the salt idea, Jesus said that we're not called to run from death and decay, but into messiness and into pain. It's a similar concept between light and darkness, that we're not called to run from darkness, but we're called to be present in the midst of it because you are the light of the world. Because you are the light of the world. Now, this is a crazy verse. If you know the Bible, this, you know how crazy this is because Jesus isn't just asking us to do it, which would be strange in and of itself, but he's calling you the same thing that he called himself. In John 8, 12, Jesus told his disciples plainly, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. I mean, this is mind-boggling because he says that in John 8, but in the Sermon on the Mount, he looks out at the crowd and he says, you are the light of the world. He said, you are the light of the world. You and I, we have similarities. I mean, think, think about how crazy this was and compare how you view yourself to compare to how Jesus views you. I mean, this is wild, right? We knock ourselves down off the pedestal so many times and we can't usurp the throne and take Jesus's place, but just for a moment, compare how you view yourself, and how Jesus views you. Because somehow, way, in the kingdom of God, he says, I am the light of the world. Oh, and by the way, you are the light of the world. But this is a bizarre truth that we've stumbled into. Apparently, Jesus thinks pretty highly of you. So much so that he called you to the same thing that he was trying to live out himself. So don't shrink back from the darkness. Don't shrink back from the darkness like it will somehow overcome your soul and overcome who you are. Don't let the enemy rob you of what Jesus has already conquered on the cross. Instead, shine brightly for all to see. Shine brightly for all to see. I recently met one of the leaders of a wonderful uh, a company called Sackcloth and Ashes. Some of you may have Old Testament references running through your head when you hear the phrase sackcloth and ashes, but they're an amazing company that makes some of the best blankets around. And what I love about their company, even more than their product, is that whenever someone buys a blanket from sackcloth and ashes, they look up the purchaser's zip code and they send a blanket to the nearest homeless shelter. Their corporate model is to shine brightly for all to see. 
In a place that might feel messy or dark for some, they intentionally bring the light of Christ to give God glory. That's a for-profit company that has this worked in to their ethos, responding to the call of the gospel. What about you? What about you on a personal level? How do you engage with darkness around you? Where do you see it? Where do you see darkness? Who do you know that's just wandering to and fro, bumping into walls, falling down in darkness, and they need someone to come alongside them, someone who contains the light of Christ to help point, to help point them in the direction of Jesus Christ? Shine brightly. Look to see what God is doing in the world around you and join him. Be the light of the world. The world is in desperate need of you as a vessel of the light of Christ. You are the salt and you are the light. As I close, I feel compelled to once more remind you that as amazing as the Sermon on the Mount is, as amazing as its applications are to our own lives, that you are not, in fact, the hero of this story that we try to emulate Jesus, we try to follow him as best as we can, but the hero of this story is reserved for Christ and Christ alone. The only way you stay salty is if Christ moves in you and through you. The only way you reflect the light is if he moves in you and through you. All of creation groans under the weight of sin. Sin and death and decay have infiltrated every area of creation and society and family systems, even our own hearts, and there's only one Savior who's completely dealt with it all. But remember his story. He didn't deal with it from heaven. He wasn't like on his throne and looking down at heaven and saying, look how messy they've gotten. Look at all the darkness that's all around. That's not how Jesus dealt with that problem. Instead, he left the throne and he entered into our world, being born as a baby in a manger, filled with a society where, where oppression was reigning. He was living in poverty. He had to live as a refugee and then come back to, to his homeland. This is the messiness that Jesus entered into as the salt of the earth. He was betrayed and beaten and rejected and crucified. And when it happened, he was raised up on the cross like a lamp for all to see. Darkness surrounded him on the cross, but his light was shining brightly, destroying the power of sin and darkness once and for all. If you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, then why not experience the freedom that the light of Christ can offer you today? Completely setting you free from sin and darkness. If you've been following Christ most of your life, but you're experiencing death and decay, things aren't working out the way you had hoped, or you're stumbling in darkness and kind of falling a bit of way, then, then run to him again. Run to him again. He is quick to forgive. He is quick to establish your life on his foundation once more. Because the work that he started on the cross, he will bring to completion inside of you. He is the salt, so we can be the salt. He is the light, so we can be the light. So we just have to cry out, come, Lord Jesus. It's the song we were praying. Let heaven come to earth. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in the heaven. 
move in us, move through us, and help us to become more and more like Christ. Let's pray together.